a ceasefire and hostage release are underway. How will this impact future threats and future hostage deals with terrorist groups? Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Sangari and Intel analyst Ilana Friedman break down the long-term impact on Israel and the Middle East. And then China's raging pneumonia outbreak with overloaded hospitals and many new cases. Is it a new type of COVID all over again? Dr. Li Meng Yang explains the origins and the dangers from the CCP and WHO. And then a slew of sexual assault lawsuits have been filed against high-profile men in the entertainment and political industries in the last month alone. Journalist Gail Murphy reports on this culture and the Adult Survivors Act that has opened the door. It's all next on Viewpoint This Sunday. the bias, the lies and deceit, and bring forth real talk from real people about real news, providing the out loud truth and capturing the essence of a new generation all in a fast-paced hour. This is Viewpoint This Sunday. Welcome to the weekend news magazine, Viewpoint This Sunday. It is Malcolm out loud here. And I think the top story that everybody is talking about, my fellow Americans, has got to be the hostage release and the war in the Middle East has uh, garnered all of our attention and uh, many times our worst nightmares as well. We're going to start right there, cover a lot of stories in the next hour, but let's start with that hostage release and uh, talk about this. Now, I'm going to take this from a different perspective right up front, so I will warn you of that. And let me bring on as I engage here as well. We're going to start with uh, Sargis Sangari joins me. He's a retired lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army uh, and uh, Infantry and uh, Special Operational Forces. Uh, he's been at it for well over a couple of decades and uh, well-versed in the uh, military theaters and uh, well-spoken in media. And uh, uh, Colonel uh, Sangari, privileged to have you with us here this morning. Welcome. It's good to be here, buddy. The soundbite is supposed to be this, Colonel. It's supposed to be, we don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't negotiate with terrorists. That is the words I hear echoing in my ears consistently from America, from Israel, from most of Western civilization, that we don't do that. Okay, put that aside a moment here. The terrorists know how to play this game very effectively, and it is a game to them. They have no value in human life whatsoever, including their own or anybody else's around them. Uh, so in the worst possible scenario, they grab up well over a couple of hundred reports are about 240 uh, uh, hostages of, of all likes they take. And with the particular purpose of negotiating these at appropriate time to be able to get what they want, how they want it, what have you. Now, humanitarian aid is coming in uh, massive amounts of it into Gaza. I mean, massive amounts uh, fuel, everything they need to run their terrorist operation. Uh, I don't imagine these are going to be used for the civilians. But anyways, that's the gag right now that this is a humanitarian aspect with a, with a particular pause or ceasefire at this moment with a four-day event with the fact they would release 50 hostages in exchange for about 150 that are imprisoned in Israel. 
what kind of lessons are we teaching all these terrorist groups that are watching this, uh, everybody around the world that is watching this? I can't imagine the next time around, Colonel, this is going to go very well. I think we've now set up a lot of future hostages, a lot more future deaths, a lot just for obviously the sanctity of saving a few lives now. I get it. Every life is valuable. Not questioning that. But how how do we maneuver this road ahead? This, to me, is the most egregious point of this whole affair. Speak about that, please. Well, everybody uh, negotiates with terrorists. Um, it doesn't matter what they say. They just do it. They pay them out. They give money to them. Uh, part of uh, unconventional warfare is, uh, and what we even teach our U.S. Special Forces, is you go out, you want to run insurgency. And I've uh, fought against insurgencies, and I ran insurgencies. You have to take hostages because it allows you to be able to swap those hostages. It allows you to make money with payouts that are given to those hostages or for those hostages. And then most importantly, it allows you to force a policy shift. In this particular case, Hamas forced a policy shift. And it wasn't because Hamas was really at it. Uh, you, uh, Israel went in and was absolutely destroying them. There's more Hamas leaders have died than what is going to ever be revealed uh, by an open source, by the Israelis or other others, including the United States. Uh, but they were really taking out a absolute beating. What forced the policy shift was what... Uh, Hamas was able to do to put the pressure specifically on those family members that had hostages that had been taken. When you have actual Israeli citizens in huge numbers, just going back a week ago, marching on foot from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, those are the ones that broke Israel's back in this negotiation because they're the ones who forced their government to have to negotiate and get to a ceasefire. So with Israel getting into a ceasefire and negotiating now, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, maybe some years from now we'll find out that there was money exchange in this process too, because everybody who's negotiating for you, guess what? They're going to be on a payroll. They're going to get money in their pockets. That That's probably what led to us being where we are today. Keep in mind, even United States going back years ago, even under George Washington, when this nation was established, the Barbary pirates were basically taking as many American captives as possible. Even under George Washington, the United States paid almost uh, close to $700,000, which was at that time about a quarter of the U.S. budget at the time to be able to pay off the uh, hostage takers. However, what that led to was basically us having a larger naval capability in the federal government. And that was a policy shift in the U.S. Why? Because finally the state said, we're about to give up some of our independent rights. We didn't want to have a larger federal government, but we're going to go ahead and invest in a larger Navy, which led to our Marines basically being able to go in and try to break the Barbary pirates. So it happens all the time. It's a major policy shift. I think this policy shift will force whether Hamas is eradicated off the battlefield mm -hmm. uh, shortly or 10 years from now, right. it will force that two-state solution that uh, is going to be mandated and controlled by the international community rather than Israel having a say in it by themselves. Interesting, interesting. So even if Hamas is eradicated off the battlefield, as you suggest right there, uh, Colonel, I mean, what is I mean, does that really what does that really accomplish when all the other terrorist groups are right there? In fact, there's more than just Hamas in Gaza as well, as you know, and they're everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere throughout the Middle East, but throughout Africa, throughout the world, in fact. 
So what, what does that really mean in the scope of humanity? Anything at all? What it means is the fact that uh, terrorism is, is a, a money-making process is there. If there was no money in terrorism, it wouldn't have been used on the battlefield. Um, and um, uh, unless you want to kill everybody in Hamas, uh, that means you're going to have to go after those uh, British citizens, American citizens, Qatari citizens, uh, other citizens of other countries that are Hamas members and leaders in the Hamas uh, leadership, and you have to kill them in those countries. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen unless they decide to do it over a 10 to 50 year period. But Hamas will eventually change the name. Right now, Hamas, by just conducting that action, uh, going in on October 7th is when Israel completely lost leverage and control over the situation uh, internationally. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. And, uh, it, you know, your point is right. I mean, this is a long-term game is what it is for these uh, barbarians, uh, basically. Um, Israel says that they will continue its war on Hamas and we will not stop until we achieve our two main goals, overthrowing the rule of Hamas and returning all the abductees back to a safe and sound. This was the foreign minister, Eli Cohen, that said that. Let me bring on and get another diverse thought here from Ilana Friedman joins me. Ilana's a veteran intelligence analyst, advisor, intelligence-led counterterrorism solutions, and uh, uh, speaks, has written books about Hamas, understands this fight, um, spent many, many years in Israel. So what they're talking about now in Floden is the possibility of this ceasefire being extended if they'll like, uh, if uh, for groups of 10 hostages, uh, they're trying to float this idea that the Hamas terrorists are believed to have taken about 240, but they'll release about 10 for another day of ceasefire, 10 for another, and just kind of keep this going until they bleed this thing dry, I guess, and they get, they think everybody's home. As Israel says, it's one of their main goals. When you make that your main goal of the fight, and maybe you do that for PR, I'm just saying, I mean, they've slotted well over 1,200. It's a moving number. But when you make that your main goal, aren't you also kind of giving leverage back to the terrorist groups, Ilana, that know what you're going to do next? I mean, it seems to me like this is all like a script that has been written for a a Hollywood uh, movie. It's all playing to the script. I mean, what do you say to that? Well, first of all, I would say that that uh, the, the way the Israelis began this fight, mm-hmm. the way Netanyahu uh, began to run the, the, the war, so to speak, um, they started at a disadvantage because they were not prepared for this. They had actually, uh, their intelligence uh, senior officers had, had um, disputed that there was any activity that was unusual in Gaza, even though they were warned by spotters who right. were on the border t- for that reason. Mm-hmm. When the Israeli forces finally went in, which was a couple of weeks later, mm-hmm. with their ground, they, they came in immediately with, with air cover and, and, and air uh, attacks. And by the way, uh, at this point, North, North Gaza has been completely destroyed. The, there are very few buildings that have been left standing, and those that are standing are likely to be unstable. And the reason I mention this is because the 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 force of the Israeli assault has been overwhelming, and they've taken out about thirty percent of the Hamas terrorists, including many of their leaders. Um, Hamas has been devastated, but they have had the support of the rest of the world. Most, almost, even even Joe Biden here. Look at what what our president has done. He has verbally supported uh, 
uh, Netanyahu and the Israeli offensive on the one hand. And on the other hand, he's given billions of dollars to the people who are funding it. Well, let, 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 um, me, so, let me hold you there a moment. But Alana, uh, to your point right there, that's a great point to bring up. And let me add to that, please. But I see that as regular protocol business for this country. I mean, just let me make this point with listeners and you to say, this is how screwed up our foreign affairs is. And uh, and I would say to you back, we do this on a regular basis. We support all sides of the war. We give it to the good guys, the bad guys, and the other guys. We support everything. We give it to everybody. We do it under whatever guise you want to make it called. But I don't think Americans fully grasp that point, Ilana. No, I don't think we, I don't think they do, I, they, we do either. Uh, and that's part of the problem is that we don't understand it. We are not holding the um, the Hamas supporters in America and there are thousands of them who have been groomed. We've talked about this before, yeah. uh, about how how the, the, the universities have been groomed by um, Hamas representatives here in this country. Um, and we we are and that's another story but but what's happening now i believe is that um the united states behind the curtain uh is putting enormous pressure including perhaps threats against israel in order to mm-hmm. have israel tow the line that they want towed right, right. so this israel wants to um, obviously to free all the hostages and return them home but more than that they want to destroy the threat and america is is really our 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 administration is holding them back in ways that we don't understand because we don't see it all uh all undercover it's all behind the scenes and i believe that netanyahu is under enormous pressure not just from the the families of the hostages but from the government. Alana, that is a, a fantastic point, uh, that there's so much being said uh, beyond the microphone. You're right. A lot of backroom deals, uh, which is what uh, Colonel was just talking about a moment ago here as well. A lot of that is happening uh, that is not in daylight here. So, it's a, so you know, we started reporting a few weeks back, this was an information war. This was a war of information and that it was going to be that way. And clearly that's what we're looking at right now. Um, I, let me bring uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sergeant uh, Sangari back into the conversation. And, you know, there was an interesting editorial piece, uh, Colonel, in the New York Post. Uh, Hamas, uh, about the first hostage release, has confirmed some very telling facts about the terrorists. Number one, they're ruthless liars. And number two, they'll victimize anyone they can. And number three, they think they can get America to break with Israel. Back to Alana's point just a moment ago and kind of what's happening here. Now, here's a point I want to make here. They go on to say in the post here, uh, Colonel, they say uh, terrorists not only kill, but they lie. All right. What do you say to this uh, point, uh, Colonel, about this being a war of information? Just because they're smelling uh, the, uh, in this case, the media that's anti-Israel is smelling blood in the water. And uh, they're going. Why is the media anti-Israel? Why is the media anti? Can you tell me that, please? Because Israel pushes back against what uh, they want to see narrative-wise within the region. Look, uh, Israel is the only footprint we have in the Middle East. We, as United States, literally have no footprint there. I told Israelis a while ago, and it was uh, I given a talk at a synagogue uh, six years ago to this November. And I said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. If um, uh, 
you took all the Jews living in the state of Israel, and the state of Israel is just a state with a lot of Jews in it, and you removed them and put them in Brazil and put the Brazilians here. It could have been burning, and I said this six years ago, and uh, I said they could have been burning the Jews in ovens in Bra uh, Brazil. U.S. wouldn't care. They only care about you because of the strategic need of you in their region. Uh, because wow. they know that all the money that Israel has is invested in the West, and all the relationship it has is in the East, in the region, in the Middle East, and it has to have it. Uh, so hold on a minute here. So oh, you, you just said something so provocative and that I would have never. So you're saying the only reason we've strategically aligned with the Israeli government and the and the, uh, the Jewish people there is absolutely purely for geopolitical strategic reasons, period, end of story. If they were somewhere else, it wouldn't matter. The United States has shown that going back to the Obama years. And, and look, we've always wanted to leave the Middle East. We didn't want to be there, but the Middle East reaches out and touches you. You see how it happens with the number of hostages being taken on October 7th. So you can never leave it. Israel is the only one that gives you that footprint. That's, that's the bottom line. Look, a long time ago, I, I think from an unconventional warfare perspective, uh, the second, the first, um, you know, feces-strong monkey went across the uh, border in Israel, and entered Israel, Israel lost leverage um, because it destroyed the Israeli narrative that Israel can protect itself 24-7. And I had told my Israeli friends four years ago, I said, listen to me very carefully. The enemy only has to get through once. You have to be on point for the next 100 years, and you cannot make one mistake. Well, that mistake was made October 7th. The problem you're running into now, the whole idea that the Israeli military intelligence capacity capability is strong and can counter is gone. And now we're learning from the U.S. side that there's some limitations that Israel has when it comes to its collection capability. Right. That's pretty much gone, too, because Israel's not just fighting against, I hate to say it, uh, U.S. systems that are anti-Israel at times if not most of the times, it's fighting against the Russians, it's fighting against the Chinese, it's fighting against all these other... Let me talk to you about that. Let me talk to you about that. I want your... Uh, your Give me a quick summation and opinion on this point, please. As I hear different military perspectives, Colonel, from both different uh, views on this. You mentioned China, you mentioned Russia there. Um, briefly, who which influence into this uh, element here of the Middle East right now We've seen the foreign policy debacles of the current administration. We've seen the China negotiations of the Middle East. We've seen Saudi Arabia, the peace deals. We see all of this. We, we understand what's happening. But the influence of China and Russia into the region, who is number, who would you put first within those two entities has more, um, uh, more of their hands into what's happening there currently on the ground? Well, everything's run by China, Chinese Communist Party, but through the Shanghai Corporation Organization, which Russia and Iran are signatorials to. So the SCO is the one that's driving Ukraine, uh, which is the reason why even uh, Israel had to kind of give an, um, you know, uh, availability to support the Chinese Communist Party uh, in the Haifa port. The, the problem you're running into is that we knew with the Abraham Accord, as we were leaving the Middle East, that Israel was going to be probably the new a map of the Near East, where Israel with the Abraham Accord countries and India possibly flexing against China. So that was all shattered with this operation. And now, look, even here, as it was mentioned, that you had in the past, if you had an individual make an anti-Semitic comment, uh, the entire world would stand against him in the United States, say, oh, my God, look what that guy said. 
that individual's career would be gone today. Right now, everybody, man, just go tear down posters, say whatever you want, scream death to Israel, and nobody does anything about it. Right, so right, the, right. The, the, you're not going to put that genie back in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've destroyed the military, uh, you know, overall uh, uh, information operation that Israel can protect against any enemy at any given time. Right. You've, de- you've destroyed the whole concept of uh, that if you're anti-Semite here in the U.S., that somebody mm-hmm. will destroy your career. That doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and you see what's happening in Europe. So Israel okay. has been put in a position where it's even jeopardized the Abrams Accord. So Israel is somewhat by itself, as yeah. much as people verbally say that we stand by. So what you're really spelling out is October 7th changed everything. I mean, that's uh, that's really what you, I mean, it changed a lot of things here. And we probably, you know, I, I think we probably don't go back to October 6th again. I mean, that was a game changer. You agree with that, Colonel? Yeah, it's a, it's a game changer. I think the push for a two-state solution permanently being imprinted uh, in the region, even if it's detrimental to Israel, is what the next push is. But I, I think a two-state solution is, it, 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 I mean, I question that back, to be frank with you. I think it's an absolute joke. When people want to kill you and they make that their apparent goal and their whole mission in life is to die, how the hell do you have a two-state solution? Can you give me that in a sentence or two? You can't. Um, you're gonna exactly. just. You're gonna. You, it. It doesn't exist. But uh, right now, Israel doesn't have any leverage, uh, and you. even its own people have risen up against the current government, right. uh, Netanyahu, forcing the exchange of hostages in the ceasefire. Well, what this says to me is uh, the Jewish people are fighting the fight of of humanity right now. That's what it says to me, uh, Colonel. That's uh, this good and evil fight is right there in the Middle East, right there in Israel. Do you agree with that statement? I agree, but the problem is their internal fights are being highlighted now too. So there's internal fights in the in the Jewish community that is being highlighted here. Okay, all right. And Fascinating conversation. That's, that's the problem that's causing. Let me move over and I want to bring on now, uh, Dr. Lee Ming Yang joins me here. And uh, I, not a stranger at all, but you know, she's an independent virologist and the whistleblower who called out China, the CCP, uh, in the truth about uh, the COVID, which we surely have covered extensively here on America Out Loud, uh, friends. Uh, I want to change up just a little bit, but I want to ask you first, um, Dr. Li Meng Yang, about, uh, give me a brief summation so listeners understand the Hamas connection. You've been very outspoken about the Hamas connection to the CCP, which uh, Colonel just referenced a bit about, but uh, what what's your summation about that? What what do listen? What do we need to know about that, please? Uh, thank you, Malcolm. Uh, actually, we got the uh, top classified information uh, right after the massacre happened in Israel. This time, CCP has been the very strong and almost I think we can see the biggest supporter of Hamas for years. And this time, uh, when Xi Jinping uh, promotes this kind of attacks, behind it, they have their own motives because they need Hamas to bring America back to Mid-East from Taiwan and the South China Sea. It would reduce China's pressure and make America embattled. And also, uh, Xi Jinping, CCP, they have promised Hamas they would give the full range, 24 hours 
seven-day support, unlimited support to Hamas. Mm-hmm. So yeah. between uh, Hamas and CCP, there are multiple direct contacts between them to Xi Jinping's office. So they could get very quick uh, access to the top central CCP and get the reply. Let me ask you right out, because I don't know what you'd say about this, Dr. Li Mingyang. Do you, do, do you believe in the immediate future, I'm talking with everything you know strategically and the research you get in, do you believe in the next immediate time, maybe the next year or two, that does China make a move on Taiwan? Yes or no? China is always looking for the right timing. Uh, currently, they prefer, I mean, as we talked even back to last year, they, they prefer the best strategy is peacefully get Taiwan. So they want to use the presidential election to get the pro-CCP new president and also combine with Taiwan military uh, pro-CCP people. China could uh, actually take over Taiwan. But if it doesn't work, China won't rule out the possibility of the hot war to get Taiwan. All right. right. That is perfectly said. Uh, Sterity, I want to ask you about this uh, pneumonia in one second. I just I got to get your opinion, Colonel Sergeant Sangari, on this point uh, that uh, Dr. Li Mingyang is talking about. Kind of a big deal. We're speaking about with Taiwan. Uh, do, Do you strategically think I like the way she explained a hot war versus peacefully to gather what they can. Do you think this is on the immediate radar for them right now, using all these distractions in the world, or is this really off the table for them right now? No, it's on the table because uh, they're on, they're having problems internally themselves. I mean, uh, yeah. look, if it wasn't for the uh, COVID coming out of China in 2019, China's economy was on the virtual of absolute collapse it was a COVID that actually propped them up uh, because money got infused into the process and uh, trillions of uh, u.s dollars went into the process of going back to china for purchase of equipment that kind of uh, allowed their you know economy to survive all that money has dried up now mm-hmm. and their economy is back into failure so unless right. something else happens you know you just can't get past that particular so does that mean they have too much on the, with what you say right there? We have been reporting on that fact economically and some of those problems in China that you speak about that really not many are talking about. It, is that is that a deterrence for them to stay uh, to leave well enough alone right now because they have too much on the plate? Is that a factor? No, it actually might be opposite. It might be the driving factor that they haven't uh-huh. gone into a hot war when they're not ready for a hot war at the level that they need to be. Interesting. Because, frankly, U.S. military will destroy them. Um, destroy who? Hold on. Destroy, destroy who? the uh, Chinese Communist Party capabilities if we get into a war with them. And you say, hold on, you say there's no hesitation with what I, ju- I detected what you just said. There was no hesitation with what you just said, Correct. No, because I know the type of equipment and capabilities they have now. I know in some missile uh, technologies are a little bit more ahead of us, but I don't think that's going to come into play if you start taking out uh, the Chinese capabilities, especially uh, when it comes to their ships. Now, the issue is whether or not you have an administration that's willing to go to war. Exactly. And if it doesn't, exactly. then don't expect the Well, Japanese I was going to say to you, are we prepared war. for that? You just nailed it right there with your comment. It's exactly right. It depends who's in the White House. I want to go to Dr. Li Meng Yang first on this story. 
there's an outbreak, a pneumonia outbreak, and in, in you know, they're questioning is it COVID all over again? Now, there's a lot we don't know about. Just let me be clear. However, uh, there's an enormous amount of people that are sick. They reference children a lot to Dr. Lee Meng Yang, but it's actually everybody. The authorities are wondering if they're covering up an epidemic. To get to the point quickly, the World Health Organization has chimed in, and who would believe them at this point? They are habitual liars and are partners with China. But they say there's no unusual or novel uh, pathogens being developed. The Chinese authorities say that to who? And of course, who believes whatever they tell them? So who, who really knows? We can't use that as any measuring stick. But these numbers are pretty severe. And there's a particular couple of things they're looking at with the sickness here. Uh, there's, uh, let me just get here. Uh, there's a um, uh, mycoplasma pneumonia, they're calling it, a mycoplasma pneumonia, potentially. And there are some other sicknesses coming from this. Do you see anything coming out of this? What are you, what are you hearing? We are working hard on collecting the uh, intelligence and information from China. So first, let me tell you, the top principle is don't listen to China government and don't listen to WHO because it is totally similar to what happened back to 2019 and I was a person who collected information for them and I know how they treat people, how they cover it up. Essentially, China government, they have their own purpose. And the second thing is after COVID-19, actually during COVID-19, China government enhanced the way to control the medical information more strictly and because definitely they don't want the next Dr. Yang come out to be the whistleblower to disrupt their plan. Okay. The third thing is now it's very terrible in China, not only kids, but also adults, elderly, they are sick, they cannot get medical uh, support and uh, the antibiotic doesn't work well for them and also there are uh, a lot of information tell us people die even. So yeah. we don't know what passage it is. It, it, it's strictly controlled and even doctors don't know because okay. they are not allowed to know what... Should we be yeah. concerned at this point, bottom line? Should we be? Yeah, we should concern about China government haven't stopped developing the bioweapon, especially the we, uh, they they uh, consider the COVID-19 as a big victory. Yeah. And now remember, China and the U.S. increased the flights from November. Yeah. And yeah. also China welcomed foreigners go to China well, since November. Well, listen, and, I, and I'm just going to add to this and say, wouldn't that be strategically quite interesting to see uh, not not in a good way for humanity at all, but some or some additional bioweapon put out on the world right now. And there's been talk about this even before these incidents that they could be up to that. And boy, that would be a distraction. Back to the uh, Lieutenant Colonel's uh, uh, point a moment ago about China uh, making that move because weakening things and things at home, and maybe they consider that's the time. Ilana Friedman, let me get you back in on this here. We reported early, early on in 2020, at the very end of 2019, in fact. And I only want to take a moment or two on this particular story, but it's kind of a little bit of a deja vu at this point. It makes you a little bit of nervous what's going on. That could play into this overarching picture we painted about China being on the move. You have anything to you know add to that part of the the story here with China? Well, first of all, I think if we're talking about this uh 
uh, this this new uh, uh, a virus or or it's it's an ammonia of some kind. Yeah. Um, there's still travel to and from China, so uh, the the possibility of it infecting the world is probably pretty pretty strong. Uh, I I do want to add something to what uh, you were saying about China and Israel because all of this is connected. You know, this is there's there's nothing that happens in a vacuum anymore. Right. China has been working on in inserting itself into Israel. It's not just in the port. Uh, China took over the port with a 25 year contract to manage it, and that was for it was at, at from the outset, from my point of view, a huge mistake on Israel's part. But since then, China has been working on infrastructure construction in Tel Aviv mm -hmm. and has just uh, announced, I don't know if they actually did it before all this happened, they announced that they were sending 2,000 Chinese workers to Israel. Uh, Israel's a tiny little country. It only has 9 million people. You send 2,000 people there, it makes an impact. And China's interest in, chi in, in Israel, in my opinion, is uh, Israel's um, super technology in, in virtually every technological field. Uh, and this is something China is very interested in. And China is, is um, uh, you know, they're well known for stealing. Things. Well, they're making a move right now but, because there's yeah, an absence of leadership on the world stage. Yeah, but what, but what I was, the point I was going to make was that um, as soon as this happened, this on October 7th, China took the side of Hamas. Yeah, yeah, I seen it. So with yeah. all of the French, the the supposed friendship and and the farce yeah, of yeah. into mutual advantage Understood. was rubbish. Yeah, it was yeah. rubbish. Just well, was and and Israel got snookered for sure. Well, of course, of course, but bru brutal forces like to work with brutal forces. So I mean, that would be a pretty natural arrangement there. Easy enough to see that one for sure. Um, all right. Uh, Ilana, this, let me just ask you straight out here. I, I want to keep this real tight right now, but the, the, the terrorists where we started when I started with, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Sangari there, um, about not negotiating with terrorists. And he explained it pretty well. It's just a talking point that really doesn't mean anything, uh, plays to the terrorist narrative constantly. We're never going to get over this thing. They're going to continue to take people, whether it's pirating or whatever ways they can. It's part of the condition of this thing. Um, right now, they're talking about extending this out more with more delays, more ceasefires, more pauses that does not play to Israel's advantage at all. Um, you know, you've got multiple factors happening out there. Uh, plus, you've got more than just the uh, the Hamas. You've got the uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad out there. They're the number two group in Gaza, by the way. It, was this the right decision? I mean, strategically on the military field, it doesn't sound like it was, but from a humanitarian sense, which plays to the terrorist narrative, they, they, this is we're kind of at a loss here, Alana, are we not? Yes, I think Hamas has actually, in spite of their terrific losses, they have played this very, very well because the people who are making the decisions are not un, uh, under the gun. They're sitting up in... in they're not uh, on the battlefield. They're in, they're, they're in cut, they, right? Hey, they don't care how many they lose. They'll they'll just they, they'll just build up their forces uh, from from other resources. Right, right. But they but they um, uh, th this whole idea of of uh, th this negotiation, mm -hmm. I thought it was wrong to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, I I I ache for the hostages. But we're talking about something which is laying the groundwork 
for a much bigger confrontation where there will be much heavier losses than so. 240 people. Yeah, yeah um, I think so. I think so. Yeah, 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 I mean to sound inhumane, but I, I, I think there. Well, it's a, not inhumane. Uh, what we're doing is saving future people. Frankly, let me point exactly. that out. And yeah, we, as you know, we exactly. reported on this early on with uh, with IQL Rizzoli yourself, and uh, we reported on the fact it was going to be a bad move. Correct. Absolutely, and I think it it was a bad move. I understand that they were under an, a lot of pressure. But- All right, let me. I want to get back to Lieutenant Colonel uh, Sengary, please, and. Uh, you know, I see. I, I want your opinion on this uh, in our uh, little bit of time remaining here. You know, we you talked. We talked about China. We talked about Russia. Um, you know, Colonel, this um, Zelensky. There's been reports in the last couple of weeks, which I, I knew this, but that he had survived no fewer than five Russian assassination attempts, uh, and he just had some interviews um, on the uh, with some. Um, uh, media and he says that he he's now gotten used to it but there's been five or six attempts on his life and they actually have a code name to get rid of him by the end of the year uh as a strategic ob- objective initiative here how is it Zelensky has even survived to now how is it i it's very uh confusing how he is even left standing i mean you can't tell me that russia couldn't find him at any time i mean they had the wagon group doing that at one point but I mean, if they really wanted to take him out, could they not have done that at this point? And what's behind all of this? I I smell something doesn't smell right. It's called money. Uh, money is still being made because of the Ukraine war. Everybody's making it. Even the Russians are able to somewhat uh, get their economy back online, you know, because the Indians <laughs> bought oil from them and are getting their economy back up again. Um the United States has made money through the process, through the military-industrial complex. Europeans have been able to make some money through the process and settle their papers. Once you get to a point where Zelensky, who is fighting, but uh, frankly, he doesn't have any leverage. Uh, he owes everybody everything to be in the position he is. Once the um, um, people um, uh, across the aisle... Uh, between the SEO, the Chinese, the Russians, and the Americans, and the Europeans agree on what they want to see for the future of that region, right. um, you never know. Zelensky right. might not be there. Right, let me do this. Uh, last question um, to pose right to you um, is this. In your estimation militarily in Gaza, in the Middle East, uh, from how would you envision right now, how does this and an end is a tricky word because the war of terror will never end. We can see that now. But how does this particular current conflict end, sir? Well, I mean, on the battlefield, Israel can kill um, every Hamas uh, fighter, and they will in their leadership. But uh, the long-term process, they have lost uh, globally, and they have lost within the region. Unless there's a complete change in their approach for the region, uh, from what they have had over the past 75 years is not going to be easy. Like, like just as was mentioned, <laughs> you know, you bring Chinese uh, uh, migrants in because you can't trust the Palestinians from Gaza to come work there because they attacked you. Right. Uh, guess what? You right. just allowed the uh, back door open up for the... Right. Real Chinese quickly, what about the nuclear option? Does the, Is that a viable... I mean, let, let's call it what it is. I mean, that is something that is never talked about out in the daylight, but it's it's obvious, and there's a lot of history as to how this happened. But is that is that a distinct possibility if Hezbollah and uh, the Ayatollahs make the wrong move? Is that a distinct possibility right now for Israel? 
Yeah, it is. Uh, it's always been because it's a extinction if you don't use it. And people don't make these toys to put them on the shelf to look at them. They use them. I see. There you go right there. Okay. Wow. Uh, terrific. Thank you. Um, well, you have a pretty interesting perspective now, uh, my fellow Americans, as to the complexities of uh, the situation there uh, in the Middle East and in China and in Russia and world affairs. I mean, you just heard some things you're just not going to hear anywhere else. Uh, and they're, they're tough conversations to have, frankly, but they are important conversations to have. The thing I want you to think about is this. For humanity, we either begin to get smart in Western civilization and we begin to play the long game versus the short game or all bets are off. Remember what I tell you right there. If we don't begin to strategically change the way we think and the way we act and the way we talk, all bets are off. Because the West is not very good and America surely is not very good at playing the long game. And that is what I gather out of many of these conversations we just had. We're at a very interesting, pivotal point in humanity, in the world, in our nation. At 247 years in, the American experiment hangs in the balance. Just less than three years now from our semi-quincentennial. It is a moment in this nation, for sure. Big thank you here to Lieutenant Colonel Sergeant Sangari, Intel Analyst Alana Friedman, and Dr. Li Meng Yang. Well, it's all back at AmericaOutloud.news. Please help us get back there and share the out loud truth and let folks know that uh, this is this is where the truth lives. It's what we do. And we bring all sides of the conversation in, which is what you're going to hear next in the next segment, in fact. Uh, so bring all the conversations and the voices to the table and let's talk. And that's what America Out Loud stands for. It's what we're about. It's the diversity of thought. It's diversity of America. It's a diversity of, of amazing people. And that's what we live for here. So we'll take a quick pause and return in just a moment. You're listening to Viewpoint This Sunday. The America Out Loud talk radio app is on Android or Apple. It's the perfect way to listen in to the new generation of talk shows and hosts who are ready to inform and inspire. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flu, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news. 
delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to Viewpoint this Sunday. It is indeed Malcolm Out Loud here, and thank you, my fellow Americans, again for joining me on the mission here. Appreciate you, and uh, and hope and wishing everybody just a you know with everything going on in the world to jump in your step and enjoy the holidays and respite with family and friends. Uh, we deserve it, and we we earned it at this point, and and we should do exactly that. Um, listen, I want to jump into a, a story now that uh, it hasn't been a lot of limelight on. It's a little under the radar, but it really gets me these kinds of things of the corruptness of some of these stories. And I thought, yeah, we need to shine a light on this thing here. And what it is, is there's a there's a particular law. It was called the Adult Survivors Act. And it was a New York law signed in 2022 that uh, temporarily now, lifted the everything has a statute of limitations you know you can't go back to you know charge somebody when the pilgrims landed i mean it has to be within a certain amount of time but what's right and what's wrong with that is the question i ask but it's a statute of limitations for filing a sexual assault complaint and uh this was allowing survivors in this particular case one year to file suit against their alleged abusers regardless of when the alleged abuse happened wow and I almost don't even know why that came up in the way that it did. Interesting. Well, we're going to be joined here next uh, for, by Gail Murphy is here on the broadcast. And Gail is uh, just an outstanding uh, award-winning uh, radio television journalist. Uh, she has been um, probably, Gail, I, I say this respectfully, but around the block in the media world quite a bit here. ABC News nationally, BBC News, Sky News internationally. I have to say that with a caveat, Gail, right? Thank you, my my longtime friend. Yes. It's been a long time, and it is a privilege to have you back on here. So awesome. All right, let's 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 jump into this. Now, I started seeing some of the names here. Before we go there, and it's a long list of people, I mean, that names that everybody recognizes. Talk about this Adult Survivors Act. Uh, why, what, uh, why, I don't even know if we know why it was brought back into being signed in 2022, but, and, and should there be a statute of limitations, Gail, on these kinds of things? Well, you said it was signed in May of 2022, which is true, but it was never made permanent. The act itself, it's called the New York Adult Survivors Um it uh, created a one-year win- window for people 18 years or older at the time of the alleged offense to file a lawsuit against their alleged abusers and the institutions that enabled them, regardless of statute of limitation. Now, the law expired this past Thursday, which is why we're seeing so much more, you, so many more U2 uh, stories popping up lately, filed against high-profile people a- across a variety of uh, industries. And so why are so many of these cases so old? 
According to the CEO of Safe Horizon, a New York-based group that provides support for victims of all forms of violence, and I quote, that trauma takes time, that mm -hmm. when someone is has experienced a sexual assault, especially by somebody who is in a position of power, they may not be able to take action right away. And they may need time to process what's happening to them. Hmm. And they need time to, for, to get support around them, especially if they're going to pursue legal action. Hmm. Now, two of this law's most high-profile tests came when journalist E. Jean Carroll sued Donald Trump for sexually abusing her in a department store. In 1996, a Manhattan federal jury found that he did, in fact, sexually abuse Carol and awarded her $5 million for battery and defamation. The second most egregious of these lawsuits was filed on behalf of over 6,000 survivors who say they were sexually assaulted by a former Columbia University gynecologist, a Dr. Robert Hayden, who was convicted of sexual abuse charges this past, last January. Survivor advocates in New York are now pushing for a more permanent legal change with no statute limitations at all, nothing. A lot of this came to surface, Gail, back, and everybody remembers the name Harvey Weinstein uh, files and what took place there. He's now serving a 39-year sentence for rape and sexual assault. Uh, that was that was one of the big stories. That's when the whole Me Too kind of came off. Uh, is that correct? Oh, gosh, yeah. That really opened the door for everything. You know, it's like you strike a match and suddenly you have a forest fire. And you had a part uh, of that somewhere. Explain that. What well, was involved in that? You know, I caught the story when it, the, the night that it happened in November of, uh, I think it was 19, I'm sorry, 2018 or 2019. Mm -hmm. And the BBC was all over it. And I did all kinds of uh, work for them. You couldn't turn on the TV or listen to the radio or go online with seeing what was going on. A, a lot of, I think a lot of people were going, it's, it was a, it's about time. This guy was unstoppable and apparently everybody knew. Uh, I had interviewed him several times, but of course it was in a public um, place. So, you know, and I don't think I'm his uh, helpless kind of victim, but there was so much stuff going on and it was going on and they, the charges were from the 80s, sometimes from the Gail, 70s. How does somebody like that escape, escape through the entire year after year after year after year after year and become so, uh, you know, successful, famous within that origins of the entertainment industry and have so many accusations? How does that happen? Well, nobody, nobody did anything. Everything was uh, kept secret. In, in other words, nobody else would dare. I mean, Weinstein was the biggest producer. He had the most um, Academy Awards and Golden Globe Awards, and he had power. And also, he was very good at choosing his victims. And these women were all powerless. They would never work. They well, would if. They let's would never that. work again. They might as well move back. Well, let's to talk Nebraska. about that right now, that power. 
So a lot of the people you see that are coming in through this Adult Survivors Act now are very, very powerful people, uh, successful people that are in positions of power, including one of these latest ones that you're seeing a lot against uh, is actor-comedian Russell Brand. Uh, that's being thrown around a, an awful lot as well. How do we know? You always question, are they just jumping on the gravy train or are these things true? How do we really know with so many claims against so many people, I mean, I, I guess you question yourself and ask, is this that widespread with powerful men that are taking advantage of disadvantaged people that are in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or or is there, is there a percentage of these people that they may not be true stories and they're just riding the gravy train? Is that a fair question? This has been going on for decades, not, not decades, centuries, centuries, centuries. You Since know, the start the of humanity, let's call it. <laughs> Yeah, since the beginning of humanity, I mean, the bully wins, let's face it, at least in the first round, right. the the bully wins. Um, so why didn't anybody, so in, the, in the case of the, the New York's adult survivors, you could be running around being Harvey Weinstein and do that because you're very powerful. Now you have the entire state of New York has your back. And so, as I said earlier, when you're sexually assaulted that way, you may not be able to take action right away. You need time to process what has happened to you. I mean, it's your body and it's been invaded by some scumbag. Get out of here. And then also you're you're weighing out your uh, your plan. I'm never going to if listen, let's just put it on. Let's just mark it off as a bad date. I'll, otherwise, I'll never get my dream. I went to right. school for this. I studied for this. This is what I always wanted to be. And some women can't even get past that. Yeah. They bury it yeah. and bury yeah. it. Bury it. And then it maybe surfaces. But but then it comes up, you know, 15 years later and you question, come on, what, what can that be real? Well, I don't think uh, that sexual assault is a joke. I don't think it's something that you kind of wave in somebody's face. I, that's not to say there are people who are nefarious, who they're not included in this conversation. What this conversation is about trauma and position of power and what to do about it and how you pursue it and how the trauma, how you can uh, work through the trauma. All right, I'm sure in my mother's time and my grandmother's time, mm -hmm. they just buried it. It was like, just shut up. Well, it was on. really, and I could see that. It was frowned upon in various ways. Uh, you're looking at names right now, by the way, Gail. Uh, Sean yeah. Diddy Combs, Jamie Foxx, Axel Rose, Cuba Gooden Jr., uh, celebrity photographers, Terry Richardson, uh, L.A. Reid executives, uh, music directors, uh, all kinds of people within the business part of the Hollywood uh, establishment as well. This culture of just getting what they want, the Russell Brands, as you say here, and then it falls into the political world and, quite frankly, hits a lot of people in Congress as well. None of that's ever talked about. There's actually a uh, a money campaign in, in Congress which uh, taxpayer money, which pays for these crimes that uh, have you. So this is widespread in culture right now. Uh, and 
you know, maybe it is time to step back and take a look at this and really know how much is true. I mean, nobody should really assault anybody or offend anybody. I mean, this is less political to me and less about decency and humanity, you know, Gail? None of this is new news. What's happening is, is the horse, the horse is out of the barn now and we can all see him and we're all talking about it. And yet it's so widespread in powerful positions of powerful people, celebrities alike, political elites alike, and people who think they have money and think they can get away with it alike. And that should not be the case uh, for anybody. I don't care who they are. Uh, if they do these kinds of things, it, it should definitely, they should be held accountable and putting an end to this and maybe putting the fear into people that there's a price to pay for this. But a lot of these people get away with it. Look at Bill Cosby is a perfect example. Uh, well, he's in, sitting in jail. Well, he did, but didn't he get out? I think so. Yeah. Yes. He, yes, he, he did. He got out. He They're got trying out. to get him back in. They're trying to that get him correct. back in from what but I But he got out. Heard. That was a big deal. I mean, and, and he was released again. And then he was another one that was... Uh, uh, but out there, and then that uh, gynecologist just said Robert Hayden. I see stories on him as well. That was uh, historical. What happened there? But this is all part of the the culture of uh, that is uh, uh, out of whack here. Uh, let me give you the last word on this. Your thoughts? Okay, so you are outraged by this, and I've t- I told you this ten years when I got to know you. Yeah. Um, I said. You're upset about all this because you're a feminist and you were like, what? What do you mean? Uh, no, no, I, I, I'm not that way. I'm not that way. Okay, so what is feminism? And okay, feminism is about all genders yeah. having equal rights and opportunities. It's about respecting diverse women's experiences, identities, knowledge, and strength, mm-hmm. and striving to empower all wo- women to realize their full rights. All right. Well, let me say back to you that, um, listen, if that if that is the definition, and I can accept that, that I want to explain to you back then, all the people I hang with and all the great conservative voices I know, they would all be feminists, Miss Gail Murphy, because it lives li- live and well in uh, all my conservative friends. They're all feminists then. I should tell them that, you think? They are. They're all, you know what? They think that. If if you agree with a woman, you're hiding behind your grandmother's apron. It's not that way. It's about everyone having equal rights and opportunities. I agree. I agree. Well, so thank you, Gail Murphy. Thank you for all of that. And I like what Gail says at the end there, friends. I like the fact that, listen, to be very clear with you, I absolutely subscribe to the point that we are all created equal. I have always believed that. You know that about me. Diversity of opinion, diversity of thought, diversity of people, uh, diversity of gender, diversity of ethnic background. Diverse, absolutely. That is America. That is who we are. It's what we stand for. That is not a Democrat and a Republican conversation. I'm sorry. End of the story. It's an American story. And we need to get back to that right now, that American story. Thank you for joining me on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud, America. America.